Welcome to Sanity Check, a podcast devoted to staying informed and sane in the time of Trump. I'm Ben, and I'm joined tonight by Mike. Hey. We are recording on the evening of Thursday, June 15th, 2017. Today is day 147 of the resistance. If you enjoy what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, at the Google Play Store, or at our website, sanitycheckpod.com. So let's move right into our best and worst of the week. Um, maybe I'll start us off this week. Um, so uh, I, I'm going to go with my best first, which is uh, just that, you know, I mean, I, I guess, I, I don't know who it was, whether or not it was his CD lawyer or one of his staff members, but during Comey's uh, hearing last week, Someone managed to keep Trump away from his phone and tweeting, but that person has clearly lost the battle, and Trump is back and tweeting to his own detriment. Um, today, again, he relitigated the 2016 election and uh, called uh, everything a witch hunt and acknowledged that there was an obstruction of justice investigation against him. I mean, it, it, he's his own worst enemy. Like, all of this stuff is going to end up being evidence in the own. Is, own investigation. Anyway, I love it. I love that. That's that's fantastic. Um, so, in terms of my worst, I'm going to go back to our uniquely American issue of mass shootings. So this week, we we had two um, on the same day. There was uh, a, a mass shooting that killed three people out in San Francisco, uh, involving a UPS employee. And earlier that day, there was, of course, the more notable one from a news point of view, uh, which was this mass shooting um, in Alexandria, Virginia, of um, the GOP congressional baseball team while they were practicing for tonight's uh, baseball game. And um, Representative Steve Scalise, who um, is the third-ranking member of the GOP House Caucus, was uh, very badly injured and is currently in critical condition. Um, and it's unclear uh, how he's going to do, and we'll, we'll be getting into that in uh, in, a, in a bunch more detail. But you know, obviously, mass shootings are terrible, and I mean, it, it... Um, so for me, my worst—it's hard to follow that worst—but um, I I was troubled by corporate sponsors pulling out of the Shakespeare in the Park production because of some what I consider to be misplaced outrage um, yeah that was about you know and it's it's not quite the same as people getting shot obviously but it is important to have art so well, it's, um, a, it's, a, it's a legitimate first amendment issue yeah well, you know, there's no First Amendment right to have Delta sponsor you. I think it just makes me concerned about the norms. Anyway, we, we're going to talk about this later. So, um, and then, so that's the worst. My best was that the travel ban, yet again, yeah. was rejected by another appeals court. So that's, how many, <laughs> I think this the was travel ban the, is like 0 for 4, 0 for 5? the second time that the Ninth um, Circuit had rejected the ban in some form. Did they reject the it, the original version as well? Well, the, it was the there was the old one. 
there have been so many times that courts have have struck you, down the travel. Ban. You might even <laughs> refer to it as every time. Yeah, every time they see it, they're like, "Nope, we're not doing that." <laughs> nah. But um, it was it was there was a decision last month by the Fourth Circuit. Today's decision came from the Ninth Circuit, and they used different reasoning, which is um, bad news for the Supreme Court review of it because. I mean, if the Supreme Court even agrees to hear it, I mean, it's been it's been knocked down now so many times, and for such a variety. Yeah, and of there's reasons. no um, and dispute. It, like, there's no one. It's not like one appeals court is saying it's okay, and one. And it's not. It's not like they've been close decisions either. I mean, they've been they've been like really harshly written decisions being like. Well, yeah. The other thing you mentioned this they the they treated um, Trump's tweets as official statements. Yeah, well, and the and they they should. I yeah, mean, just they because they should. But even the the White House has said that Trump's tweets are official statements, which I is mean, really stupid of them says, to say. He's the president, and he's stating them, so they're presidential statements. And yeah. the fact that they're incredibly dumb, you know, that's his fault. Oh yeah, and then there was the March decision from the federal district court in Hawaii. Oh, there were there have been there was decisions every time in Boston, a judge sees this Virginia, thing, Virginia. They're I mean, like, no thanks. Yeah, and I mean, and, on, and for a variety of different reasons. Um, it's in the Constitution that we're not about we're not making laws based on people's religion. Yeah, that, that's a that's a big one. It's right there. It's right yeah. there in the text. And when you've got the um, the president saying multiple times that the reason for it is because of people's religion. I mean, I don't even. I'm sure Scalia wouldn't have told, wouldn't have let them do this. He was a he was an obsessive about the First Amendment. Um. And he was also an obsessive about religion. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like there's there's no... I, I don't see this succeeding for them. Plus, the other thing about the travel... I know we're taking a long time on the travel ban. We'll move on. But um, they said it was necessary for 90 days while they reviewed everything. Yeah, we're now 147 yeah, days well, in. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, clearly they weren't being... And, you know, none of that. the acts of terror in recent uh, history... Whether it be in uh, London, in France, uh, here in the U.S., none of them, I don't believe, would have been affected by the travel ban. I mean, no, because the, so, the people didn't come from those countries. So yeah, so the judicial system appears to still be working. Um, Speaking of terrorism, um, oh yeah, good. That's, and, and yeah, in, in this case, in the form of, of mass shootings, you know, we've had this huge uh, political and news story here um uh, when yesterday morning uh this uh disgruntled guy um took a, an assault rifle and uh started shooting at the uh, GOP congressional baseball team um which is terrible ob- objectively terrible i mean we you should not shoot I, I've been people. sort of when that first happened I, I had a little moment of concern because I was thinking about you know politically I'm always worried when stuff like this happens obviously it's terrible when stuff like this happens and then I'm also worried about consequences sure there are gonna, always going to be political repercussions and I was worried that if this turned out to be a you know a liberal person who had committed the violence against people who were Republicans 
that then it could be it could start a a negative chain reaction of I mean you know what I'm saying I do I do but instead I have to I have to say and this is very surprising and unpleasant to me but like I thought Trump's statement was okay yeah he clearly didn't write it but no it was it was pretty reasonable yeah I, it was he yeah I thought it was okay and then Paul Ryan was, Paul was Ryan's reasonable was okay Nancy Pelosi's was okay so I feel like it did kind of feel like to some extent this was one test of the political system yeah I mean you had a few Republican congressmen who had slightly outlandish comments um, Chris Collins uh, congressman from New York started talking about how he was going to carry a gun and he blamed it all on Democrats and liberals but then he apologized a couple hours later and said that he had said those things in the heat of the moment and he now realized that that was the wrong thing to say and um, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I don't expect them to be perfect. No. I mean, people and are people. It, it seemed like the the reaction of people was to sort of be concerned about the people who were injured, try to reaffirm that even though we have political disagreements, we don't have a violent reaction about it, which is very important. I mean, that's one of the big differences between the way we do things in the United States and the way things are done in much less developed. Though, as I've mentioned before, and we've certainly discussed, among developed countries, we have a much more illustrious, unfortunately, history of political violence. Than, um... <laughs> you, sometimes you use the word illustrious, which to me has a connotation of something being positive and, and laudable. I guess I'm using it in a sarcastic manner. Ah. Um, but we, we certainly have a, a more profound history of political violence than pretty well, much any other Well, there's the gun thing. Country. I mean... One of the things that happened was, I've seen on you know on Twitter, people would say, you know, if I get shot in a mass shooting, please feel absolutely free to politicize my death for the you know for the purpose of gun control, because we have we have a lot of mass shootings in the United States, as you talked about, yeah, and yet somehow it, it, there's this idea that it's there's never a good time to talk about gun control. You know, if you talk about gun control right after a mass shooting, then you're being you're politicizing. Yeah. But then time goes by and then other matters come up. And so you know, to me it, it brings my mind back to Sandy Hook. Sure. I mean, I it's it's it, it it really felt as if if we couldn't get behind gun control after little kids were all slaughtered, then right. when could we? Well, and exactly. So that's why I mention it. I I, th- I think at that moment I just sort of came to an understanding that we were never going to get gun control. And I, you know, I don't propose that that's a good idea to not keep trying on that front. But I just like you're saying. So I think this morning, um, it was yesterday morning. It was yesterday morning when this happened. Yeah. Yesterday morning. Well, you know. I was. I didn't. I didn't find myself thinking about gun control as a political issue at all. I think. No, probably... I, I had the same reaction as you. My my first concern was, you know, who did this, and yeah. what is going to be the repercussion based on who did this. And we did see some of the typical things, like you know, it was a white man, and therefore it's not terrorism because right. terrorism is only attacks by people who are Middle Eastern or Muslim or Arabic. Sure. I mean, that's which is 
that's why I really hate the term terrorist now because it really just means it's really just a racial thing. The yeah, way it's I mean, used. It, 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 certainly by the definition of the word, this was an act of domestic terrorism. Absolutely, and yet nobody's. That's not the way it's developing in terms of how people are talking about yeah. it. Even though I can't think of a more like. This was a, a thoroughly political, you know, it was a crime that targeted political people for their political outlooks. Yeah, I mean, it was a straight-up uh, assassination attempt. Yeah, so, and then it turns out that the guy, so, so, but I think as I think about it more, this is a great test argument for gun control, because this perfect, guy should not perfect. have been able to have a gun of that magnitude. He shouldn't have been able to have a gun at all because he had a criminal record, uh, including Domestic a history violence, of right? violence, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, people who have a history of violence should not be able to have guns. Well, and I think there was a someone made the argument that I saw today, uh, again on Twitter, that if we wanted to prevent a lot of shootings and terrorist events we should be more attentive to domestic violence. And I think this is actually, I don't know if it's statistic, you know, I haven't done the research on this, but it, it sure does seem like having, a lot of these dudes have domestic violence incidents in their past. Uh, you know, I'm not familiar with the, st- the statistics, but I should follow up. Surprised. Yeah, we should look into that. But, you know, and Democrats used to try to pass laws, you know, if you have a criminal record, if you have a mental illness, that you shouldn't be able to buy a gun. But I feel like we've yeah. just made no progress. And we don't have all the details on this, but the latest reporting suggests that the gun that was used was purchased legally. Um, and well, and Virginia has extremely relaxed gun yeah, you laws. You basically don't need a permit for anything in Virginia. Concealed carry, um, owning and possessing firearms, um, extended magazines, you know, like all, all that stuff is, is totally kosher in, in uh, the Commonwealth of Virginia. So it doesn't have one clear takeaway for me. You know, the other thing that's getting mentioned, which I I don't really know how to categorize this information, but, you know, apparently he was sort of considered a an ex, like a person who was very liberal and progressive and was a, was a big Bernie supporter. Yeah. And he hated Trump and he he sort of hated the mainstream Democratic Party, but Yeah. I, my thought about all of these whoever does these crimes is that this is really a, a person is set up psychologically to do something like this. And then they identify whatever the vehicle is going to be, you know, whatever the cause or the idea, because there are lots of extreme lefties and progressives and Bernie supporters who never shoot anybody. So, you know, to yeah. me, it doesn't, it doesn't explain very much. And there are billions of Muslims who don't shoot anyone. Exactly. So I feel like, the focusing on mental, mental health, criminal background, preventing people from having the guns is the way to minimize acts like this. Yeah, I mean, I and I think that um, you know, in in our specific case, the we have over the last couple of years, um, and I would point primarily to to the Donalds for this. I think the the concept and the culture of kind of mob mentality and um, the normalizing of violent behavior has 
has kind of crept back in. You know, I think we saw it with that assault on the reporter in Montana. Well, yeah, I think Donald Trump is exceptional in this way in American politics, at least during my lifetime, in, in yeah. that he he seems to admire right. political violence. He, he views these as tough guys, you know. Yeah, he seems to admire it. He seems to encourage it. Remember, he offered to pay the legal fees right. of the people in his audience who beat two people up. He talked about, you know, getting people out of there and how in the old, in the good old days, people would who caused trouble at a rally would be leaving on a stretcher. You know, he so he has a fascination with violence that is unusual. You know, Mitt Romney was not like that. No. John McCain and, was not like that. And I, I just imagine that for a guy like this, this Hodgkinson guy, or you know, who committed this terrible crime yesterday, you know, even though he hated Trump, he still existed in this culture that has, is dominated by Trump. Um, and it, I, I, I just wonder what sort of impact that. I, I mean, I actually saw, you know, Mark Sanford, the Republican congressman from south carolina who i oddly keep finding myself agreeing with about certain things um said today that uh that he he was concerned that that trump bore some responsibility for the the culture that made people think that doing these sorts of things was okay yeah well and i think you know but uh, also again even on that front like People have been sort of casting around for, you know, what what piece of rhetoric is it that made this guy do this? But I mean, he's I, obviously mentally ill. Well, I, I mean, mentally ill is a difficult. I, I don't know if he's like diagnosable according to the DSM, but like, I I believe that there exist certain, not very many, but certain people who have a predisposition to do things like this, and then you know things happen in their life. It's idiosyncratic. I don't think that there is some, you know, he listened to some speech and was like, aha, now I have permission to go do this, you know. That's well, just... sure. But, I mean, I I don't think it's that much of a stretch to say that there has to be something wrong with you to think that it's okay to go shoot an assault rifle at people. Absolutely. Um, but there, and there has to be something wrong with you that you, that you think, I, I really don't like these guys' politics and I'm so angry about it that I... You know, I'm not, I rather than making phone calls and canvassing and you know volunteering and trying to make a difference, that it's okay for me to just go kill these guys. Like, well, not to mention that it's not going to achieve any of no. the goals that he theoretically wanted to achieve. I mean, I don't know what goals he wanted to achieve. He seemed like he was just a sad, angry person. He he was his primary interest apparently politically was. Uh, going back to like Great Depression era tax brackets. Hey, I mean, I'm on that. Yeah, I'll, I, I, I mean, think sure. that's fine. But like, I'm not sure how he thought that killing a bunch of congressmen and congressional aides was going to change the tax brackets. No, it was it was just a selfish act of brutality and ignorance. So as I mentioned. Um, Steve Scalise, the majority whip, who's the the third-ranking member of the uh, Republicans in the House, um, was the most badly injured. Um, Yeah, he's still in the hospital. 
Ah, I mean, I I think it remains to be seen if he'll ever leave the hospital. It's um, his condition. At first, they were saying he's like he was all right, or I got yeah. the impression that he he wasn't that badly injured. But apparently his injuries were actually pretty yeah, severe. Yeah, in, in, in these traumatic situations, I think the early reporting you always have to take with a grain of salt. For sure. Cause just because people don't know yet exactly what's going on. Um, ironically, um, if he does survive, uh, it will be in part due to the uh, heroic actions of his security detail. How did you say ironically? Well, it's because... He, Steve Scalise is probably the most homophobic member of the Republican caucus, and uh, one of his three, one of three, the three members of his security detail is a um, is an out uh, lesbian. Oh, who, that is ironic. Was, yeah, who took a bullet for him? Uh, she's going to be okay. Um, you know, since he was part of the House leadership. When he's out in public, he has a security detail uh, from the Capitol sure. Police. So he had three armed police officers who were able to respond immediately when this started happening. If they hadn't been there, probably the whole situation would have been much worse. Uh, but so, as I say, it's, it's a little ironic that one of them was a lesbian. Well, you know, let's hope he lives, and perhaps he'll have an opportunity to reflect. Perhaps. I hope so. So, um, what were we were going to talk about, um, do we I, mean, want, I don't want mean to... to cut you off, but... No, no, not at all. Um, you know, you'd mentioned the, uh, Shakespeare in the Park. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, well, right, speaking of, like, the idea of public and cultural and political statements and speeches leading to violence, there was this, um, apparently the public theater, so the, every summer the public theater puts up Shakespeare in the Park, in Central Park in New York City. And it's a big summer, deal. It's a big deal, and and it's a it's. I think of it as a pretty great thing because you, you don't buy the tickets; it's a lottery, which means right. that this these productions of these famous and really good plays are available to anybody for free. And, yeah, which you know, in New York City, there's a lot of cultural events, but many of them are very expensive to attend. So this is a nice thing, and they, well, were they often have Caesar. have pretty famous actors in them. And... Oh yeah, it's a prestigious thing. Yeah. Um, and so the they were doing Julius Caesar, and they staged it with a with a the person playing Caesar was done to look like Donald Trump, and it was made clear through you know staging decisions, makeup, and all that that this was meant to be a Donald Trump esque figure, the figure of Caesar. Um, so that was a staging choice, but the play is Julius Caesar by William Shakespeare from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so, um, and in the play, uh, spoiler alert, if anybody doesn't know what happens to Julius yeah. Caesar, he gets assassinated, um, by... It's not really a spoiler alert, because it, 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 that actually happened in real life. Well, but people might not know. That, that is true. Um, but yeah, Julius Caesar, yeah, guys, sorry to be the one to tell you this, but Julius Caesar is dead. Um, yeah. so he gets assassinated, and, and so what happened here is... People are taking that situation and they're saying, no, not all people, but some conservative people like Eric Trump is one person who's gotten on board with this theory. They're saying that this is sort of celebrating and glorifying uh, the, the assassination of Donald Trump. Right. And they're saying, you know, this is the president and it's disrespectful to celebrate his assassination and, you know, this is appalling. And so there's a lot of outrage at this idea that they would, that they would 
depict the assassination of Donald Trump. And it's it bums me out because and, and that's what led to a bunch of corporate sponsors. That's right. So yeah, Delta stopped sponsoring. It was Delta and who was the other one? Um, Bank of America. I think Bank of America, and then the NEA put up a statement. Well, the NEA never gave it any which, money in the first. Which doesn't place. Have, it would made no sense because they don't have anything to do with it. No, but I guess um, they were but, they were worried people might think they had to do with it. Yeah. But so various organizations sort of felt the need to distance themselves from this, and I find that really sad because, as I mentioned, this is a play that's existed for a very long time, and the play really engages with and and depicts and talks about a lot of tough issues with regard like with about political violence you know in yes. the play julius caesar you know there's there's these con- the conspirators who are plotting to kill him because they feel like he's a threat to the republic and so they kill him and then what happens afterwards is actually not at all what they thought was going to happen but it actually made it all much worse and so right the political violence is really not actually glorified not at all in the play julius you know but caesar. it's it's to me, theater and art is meant to be efforts to engage with the world and figure out what the truth of a situation is. And that's mm-hmm. a difficult endeavor, and it doesn't always work perfectly. And it's never really complete. You know, you never get the whole answer. But to me, this play, Julius Caesar, does a really strong attempt to engage with these questions of like what about assassinating people and you know it's a fact of history that julius caesar got assassinated people get assassinated john wilkes booth assassinated abraham lincoln and talked about julius caesar and some of his writing afterwards so you know this play comes it, well he, he frequently performed julius caesar yeah and it it so it engages with some real world issues but it definitely does not celebrate and glorify the assassination you know no. So I've I think it's really sad that the people are engaging with the play. Well, no, they're not engaging with the play. They're sort of scoring cheap political points by saying this play depicted a thing, and therefore it's saying that thing is awesome. There's lots of terrible yeah. things that get depicted in plays all the time for the purpose of examining them. You know, sometimes in life bad things happen, and so the whole thing just bummed me out because it's so stupid. You know that. I mean, yeah. I mean, with the end, there are a million stagings of Julius Caesar. And All the time, there were stagings that, with Julius Caesar as Barack Obama. There was a yeah. staging, even I heard about that, where it was Hillary Clinton. You know, like it, this is a very normal staging decision. There have been many stagings of Julius Caesar using Nazi themes. Uh, that's a very common one. Um, you yeah. know, and I don't know. I mean, at the moment, if I were directing Julius Caesar, would I have made that artistic choice? Perhaps not. But like. Well, I. But even the thing is, people should be able to make whatever artistic uh, choice definitely. they want. And so, if you go see the play and you think it's terrible, that That's if fine. like if Eric Trump went to this play and he said, "Julius Caesar is a play that I usually have admired, but I thought the way they staged it took away from its message and was disappointing." You know, like I didn't enjoy watching someone who was made to look like my father get stabbed, sure. even though it had nothing. There's all kinds of, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but I guess yeah. the difference in what I'm saying is the way that it's being discussed in these certain conservative media bubbles has nothing to do with what's actually happening. You know, 
they just are saying it was it's as if it was like a fun mock reenact not reenact but like a fun performance of Trump's execution for everybody to enjoy. They're, they're yeah, they're discussing it as if it were like violence porn. Right, which it absolutely yeah. is. I mean, I you know, Julius Caesar's a really depressing play. Yes, it's referred to as one of Shakespeare's tragedies for a reason. I thought it was a history. Is it not a history? You're probably right. It probably is actually a history. Although, you could say that it was it's tragic. But, you know, the point is the play for sure does not celebrate violence and it No. And it's and also I should say too that like I'm kind of a what was the old thing that people used to call people I'm a free speech extremist like I think even if you wanted to write an offensive play that like celebrated people being assassinated you should be allowed to I think that yeah and you know but like I also said earlier Delta is not obligated to sponsor things so no. I think you know they're within their rights there's tons of plays that are very offensive <laughs> um. You know, no one has to sponsor those. But I think in this particular case, it's a shame that they have decided to cave to people. Yeah, who I mean, well, you guys, about. you have complex relationships there. I mean, uh, I'm not saying that this justifies it in any way because I totally agree with you. Um, but you know, Delta is dependent on a lot of subsidies from the federal government. Um, well, this is another angle on it that that I wasn't even really thinking of, but and. Um, you know, I, I I have to imagine that they're thinking about that when they're making public relations decisions. A hundred percent. That and just trying to... I mean, this is... Interestingly, this to me is actually an argument in favor of the National Endowment for the Arts getting more involved because artworks can be very offensive. Yeah. And that to me, that's okay because that's part of what it is sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it is it is a little bit strange to expect a corporation which exists to make a profit by performing services in, out in the world to support something that could offend people. Because I understand the argument from their point of view where they're like, look, we don't want to offend anybody. We're just trying to sell right. airplane seats to people. And, and the only – in theory, they would say they are sponsoring – this because they believe in sponsoring the arts, but of course, in reality, they're doing it for the purpose of advertising. Well, I mean, brand, you know, you can, there's the umbrella of like brand. Sure. Whatever. But so, so, you know. Controversy is not what they're looking for. Though. I'm not that, it's not that yeah. I'm mad at Delta. The whole situation just makes me feel sad because, you know, Delta could have said like, we don't agree with the message of this. We're we're doing a lot of like what people could have said. It's interesting because I'm, yeah, I'm. I, why should I be telling them what to say? I think the point is, it's good to do these theater performances, and if they make people uncomfortable, that's not necessarily. Sometimes you should that's be good. uncomfortable. Sometimes when you're, that is. But good, that means it's say. working. You know, yeah. like if you're seeing a play and you see that they perform Julius Caesar as Donald Trump and he gets assassinated. Like, to me, it's almost the opposite of what they're talking about, because rather than glorifying it, it actually makes you think, like, do you really think that that would be a good outcome? And it's, no. Well, yeah, I mean, no, I I, I don't think that Schindler's List is a particularly great movie, but, you know, it it, it would not work as intended if it did not make you intensely uncomfortable. I'm trying to think of a good analogy. You know, this would be like, if they put on a performance of Hamlet, you know, this would be like, this movie... This play is promoting the idea that 
you should assassinate the king of Denmark. You know, like, it doesn't. That's not what it's about. Or, like, having Macbeth and being like, this is promoting the idea that you should kill as many people as necessary so that you can become the king. You know, these yeah, are just because no, they happen in the plays, but that's not promoted. So, it's just very frustrating. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh... That said, I have been proud of the way the public theater responded, where they said, you know, we believe it's important to make pieces of art that people have reactions to. And, and this is not the first time that the public theater has faced backlash or no. controversy and you know but i just think again. in this case what's frustrating is not that people were offended it's that they were offended by something that didn't happen like there was no play that was promoting and celebrating the idea that donald trump would getting would get assassinated well one would imagine that many people who are offended by this have not read julius caesar and do not actually understand what it's about I'm not sure how I feel about that. I guess that may be true. I think, to me, it's just an example of a larger pattern where any event that happens becomes... It's like it's examined for its potential to be used in a partisan way. And, you know, this has been going on for a long time. But, this, you know, this is why politicians have gotten so careful about what they say. And, you know, it's sort of the soundbite thing. And so... This is part of that pattern to me, where I think to the commentators, it's not really relevant what actually happened in the play or what actually was, sure. you know, the intent. It's just that this thing happened and it can be used as ammunition in the partisan warfare, and so it gets used. It's a great thing for Sean Hannity to scream about for an hour. But it, but it's it. The sad part of it is, you know, it's actually a lot more complicated than that. And you know, the area of the arts is. I don't have a problem with what politicians say being used as partisan ammunition that they're politicians. And, you know, I don't have a problem with events in the world. Like, you know, if there's a flood and we talk about whether climate change, like, that seems valid to me. But I think sort of saying that you shouldn't be allowed to make art with certain images in it, I think that's really wrong. Well, that is, it's starting down a very dangerous road. Of yeah. censorship and and so I think then so you have so we had this shooting in the in the baseball practice and any idea that like there's some connection between some nebulous world of left wing rhetoric and what this guy did I basically never you know I'd like to believe I'm consistent on this and I think I think I am although I can't prove it but like I don't think you know Timothy McVeigh attacked a federal building yes and. I don't particularly associate that with like a political program so much as him being a dangerous, crazy person. I mean, there was at one time in the U.S., like in the 60s and 70s, there was a real left-wing extremist violent movement. Um, you know, the Weathermen probably being the most famous example. Well, in the history of the United States, there have been a lot of violent movements of all over the political spectrum. Sure. Um, but I, I don't... I don't really see that there is one currently um well and also that i don't get that i don't see that there's any there's no suggestion this guy was working with anybody else no, right i, I mean this guy I was just so. one person who decided to be a dick so speaking of dicks oh here we um, go um we had some 
some not as interesting as last week's testimony from the Keebler elf himself, Attorney oh General Jeff Sessions. Now I see where you're going. Did you did you have a chance to watch Jeff Sessions' testimony? He was he was furious that anyone would impugn his character. Oh, was he? I don't recall. He didn't remember a lot, but he remembered <laughs> that he was very offended. Um, I thought Jeff Sessions' testimony was um, not particularly illuminating. No, it wasn't. Um, and he seemed um, he seemed a little bit flustered. I don't know if flustered is the right word. Oh, but like, I, I think he was being very truthful when he told Kamala Harris that she was making him nervous. Well... Yeah, I'm sure that's true. You know, and I thought it was funny that he was like, "If you don't, qual- if I don't qualify it, you're going to say I'm lying." And I'm like, you know, well, that is true. I know, but hasn't isn't like I don't buy any of it. He's been a senator for decades, right? And like, well, he's. A, I think he knows he's in a certain amount of deep shit. I don't know what he knows or doesn't know, but I just have it. I have this problem where. He messed up. He lied about whether he'd met with the Russians. And he's acting like everybody's being so mean to him for no reason. But I'm like, the reason is that you work for a corrupt idiot and you lied to Congress. So don't don't whine to me about how mean everyone's being to you. Yeah. No, As if he it, wouldn't be treating, you know, Hillary Clinton in exactly the same way. Well, and it would appear that he lied again under oath at least a couple of times during this this testimony one is a little bit arguable uh, in the in terms of the differences in how he and James Comey report their discussion following um, uh, Comey's uh, now infamous meeting one on one with Trump, where Trump um, asked for his loyalty and um, and for him to let the Flynn thing go, um, and uh, Comey says that Sessions didn't reply in a verbal way. And Sessions says that he did, so... I mean, that could be chalked up to remembering it differently, um, in theory. But there was another point where he was asked very specifically um, if he had met not even with Russian intelligence agents or Russian nationals, but with any American, you know, lobbyists or um, people who might have had Russian interests at heart. And he said... You know, uh, no, not that, not that he could recall. Um, and um, a um, a lobbyist named Richard Burt, um, who's an American um, who lobbies on behalf of um, a number of major uh, Russian government interests, has uh, since confirmed that he went to two dinners hosted by Jeff Sessions himself. Um, that were uh, fundraisers or um, uh, directly related to the uh, the Trump campaign, and that this happened at the height of um, the presidential campaign. So, um... Um, Sessions clearly had decided that the way he was going to get through this was just by saying that he didn't recall anything, and that was his way to lie without it being a lie. Right, and I think. I don't understand his deal. Like, I I just don't understand his deal. I don't know why he wants to be attorney general. He doesn't seem to be having a good time. Um, no, it doesn't seem to be working out quite the way he had hoped. Well, he has gotten the opportunity to 
make a lot of make some things worse for people. You know, he's talking about bringing back the drug war. He's talking about bringing back private prisons. All those things are really bad. I think Trump's plan was for Sessions to protect him from getting investigated. Yes, which which that, didn't work. That's not working out so well. Um, yeah, I mean, I. So I didn't really have a good takeaway from the Sessions testimony. I had the one takeaway was they don't like it when Kamala Harris talks. Yes, which is clearly because she is a woman and a person of color. Um, There's I don't see how you could draw any other conclusion. Right. I a takeaway from me was they had had a week since Comey testified, and they hadn't come up with a better story about why they fired Comey. You know, and it's funny you mentioned that. It reminds me, the other part of this that was a little bit interesting was we started out, he was going to go testify in public in front of the Judiciary Committee. The, yeah, Judiciary and Appropriations. And he then he and then he changed his mind, and then he was going to go do a closed meeting with just the Intelligence Committee. Then he changed his mind again, and he was going to do a public meeting with the Intelligence the, Committee. B- both of those things are things he asked for. Yeah, and, and I just, like, I don't understand... It's weird to me because he works for the... The Justice Department is under the oversight of the Judiciary Committee. Yes. So that would be the natural one for him to go talk to. Is it? Is he, like, afraid of Al Franken? Like, I just don't understand the weird rescheduling he did. Yeah, that was a little odd. Uh, I, I think, again, it was also odd because it had also been about a week since... Um, Dan Coates and Mike Rogers and Rosenstein had refused to answer questions in front of the Intelligence Committee. That reminds me, the other thing we're not talking about is this new idea that you're allowed to assert that possibly privilege might be asserted in the future. Right, so he he straight up said that he was not going to answer questions just in case in the future, even though he hadn't done it now, Trump exerted executive privilege. And that's not Uh, how that works. No, that's illegal. Yeah, you have to answer, or you have to assert executive privilege. Well, but he can't assert executive privilege. No, but it, he could say right. Trump is Trump, into, you know, like the, it. There is a legit way they could use executive privilege, and that would be for Trump to say, "I've decided that I'm going to use executive privilege, and you can't right. talk to this person about these things." I mean, he could take the Fifth Amendment if he wanted to. He could take also. The, well, yeah, that's uh, not an not an amazing look. No. I mean, this wasn't a great look either. I mean, the, the problem, though, is that it, even though it's a terrible look, unless he's held accountable by, in this case, Congress, he can get away with it. Well, you know, you're just bringing me back to one of the most depressing features of the whole thing, which is the Senate is controlled by the Republicans. The House is controlled by the Republicans. And oversight of the executive in Congress, therefore, depends on what... Republicans right. are going to tolerate or not, and so far they've tolerated everything. So you no. know you could it would yeah. be, you could easily make a case that Coates committed contempt of Congress. Mm-hmm. You could absolutely charge him with that, but they're not going to. And same for Sessions. Yeah. You know all kinds. Now, of things. I, I I will say, um, sort of to play devil's advocate. Apparently, um, since that testimony, uh, Rogers went in. And spoke with them in a closed session and yeah. did answer their questions. Well, it's just something because um, it's different. You can well. say like this is not something I can talk about in an open session. That's legitimate. Yeah, that I mean you, that that you could buy. Um, well, I mean, and, there's 
I mean, these guys do deal with secret information. And, I, and I'll, I'll say another takeaway from this is you can tell a little bit by the questioning, you know, which Republicans are there simply to carry Trump's water and which Republicans have a vague sense that we ought to be getting to the bottom of something. Um, so like uh, Tom Cotton, for instance, and uh, Jeff Lankford and Marco Rubio um, really, you know, clearly they, Trump could, as he has himself said, shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and they wouldn't bat an eyelash. I know, isn't that pathetic from Rubio particularly? Um, I'll, I'll give Richard Burr, the chairman of the committee, a little bit of credit um, in the sense that I think he's asked pretty reasonable questions um, and uh, by all accounts he's working pretty well with Mark Warner, the ranking Democratic member, and he did at the end of the session when he thanked sessions for being there um i thought he kind of gently reminded him he was like it would be great if you could go back to the white house and see if you could answer some more of our questions i thought that it was it was sort of a a gentle way of being like come on man like that that performance was really kind of pathetic i guess i don't know how much credit i give him for that i mean the backdrop of all this is we've got a corrupt president stripping the United States for parts, and he's so. A ge- I guess a gentle rebuke is is not gonna do it. No, but uh, I guess thankfully that's why we have uh, special counsel Robert Mueller. Yeah, that dude is is getting into getting. He's looking into everything now. Yeah, so we had a report, I believe, yesterday from the Washington Post, and then confirmed today by NBC um, that Mueller has opened as part of the larger probe, a criminal invest- investigation of the president himself um, for criminal obstruction of justice directly related to the firing of James Comey and the Russian investigation. So this got released as really big news, but this doesn't surprise me at all. Um, I think the my takeaway from it, I agree with you. I mean, I I think it was basically we learned it from Comey, and if you had any sense, you probably figured it was happening already. I learned it from Trump when he went on TV and said that he fired the FBI director because he was tired of the Russia investigation. Well, you knew he was obstructing justice when... Yeah, he, he said, said He that. basically went on TV and he was like, right. I confess that I committed obstruction of justice right. in these well, ways. But we didn't know that there was an investigation to confirm what Trump had already confirmed himself. I suppose I would just say, what investigation? It's like, <laughs> there was a there was a thing in some show, I forget, but it was like, you know, 10-second mysteries where, like, someone, right. <laughs> someone shot someone and he was like, I killed him, it's me, I'm guilty, you know, like... I guess what I would say is, I don't think it was a coincidence that the report of Mueller uh, investigating him for obstruction came out the day after Trump's friend Christopher Ruddy went on PBS and said that Trump was seriously thinking about firing the special counsel. Well, it doesn't surprise me at all that Trump is thinking about firing him. But I I think that Robert Mueller decided that he would... He's not a big leaker, Robert Mueller. He's he's known for that, for keeping a real tight ship. Um, I think he decided that he would release this little tidbit, which was not that much of a shock, um, to kind of send a shot across the bow, if you will, um, saying, uh, you know, I'm in charge here, stop messing with me. Well, I think, you know, we're always looking for the mythical, what line Trump would Trump have to cross to lose Republican support in Congress? I don't believe it exists, but 
if he does try to fire Mueller, that will certainly find out at that time. Yeah, that would be a um, it would be a real come to Jesus moment, if you will. Well, um, I don't think the Republicans would stop him. I mean, spoilers. Uh, so there there was a really good article on Lawfare blog, and uh, they um, they've been doing really good legal analysis of all of the extremely thorny legal issues surrounding the uh, the White House. Um, and there was a particularly good article about what would happen if Trump tried to fire Mueller. Um, and he, he went down the various paths that that could take. And it, it, it's it's really pretty fascinating. Um, basically, Trump could choose to abrogate the entire special counsel regulations and directly fire him, uh, in which case, who knows what the fuck would happen. Um, um, I suspect a lot of the Republicans in Congress would express a lot of concern and then not do anything and then pass a giant tax cut. Well, if that happened, you could see a situation where the special counsel and even the Department of Justice could choose to not accept the termination as valid and just oh, keep on, yeah, and just keep on going. Um, so now, the way that that Trump could sort of definitely legally get rid of the special counsel because there's they don't have the the protection that say Ken Starr did during the Monica Lewinsky business um, is by instructing in this case Rod Rosenstein to fire um, well because Rod Rosenstein actually can fire him um, and then there's a there's a lot of question about whether or not Rod Rosenstein would do it I suspect he probably would not um, and then Trump could fire Rosenstein the interesting thing here is that because Trump has done such a lousy job of nominating federal officials in uh, all cases, there are only three Senate-confirmed associate attorney generals working in the federal government right now. There's Rod Rosenstein. There's that Dana Buente character who is briefly the acting attorney general. And there's a a woman named Rachel Brand. So it would go kind of down that chain of succession. And then it's not really clear at all what would happen if all three of them refused to fire him and Trump fired them. That sort of hasn't been planned for. Um, I don't really know what to say about all that. I mean, I guess we'll see. You know... I mean, you're, you're, I think as you're talking, I'm thinking about how people throw around this phrase, constitutional crisis. Like, when are we yeah. going to be in a constitutional crisis? You know, and it's, I don't think there's really a line so much as a gradient. Like, and to a certain extent, I consider us to already be in a constitutional crisis. As do I. Um, and, and, and also, like, for decades, from certain points of view, we've been in various kinds of constitutional crises. I was learning today about, you know, this, how the authorization to use military force from September 11th gets used Mm -hmm. in so many different contexts now. And in a certain way, that could be considered a constitutional crisis because the legislature doesn't, is supposed to be the one who declares war. So that's just one example. There are a number of members of Congress who would agree with you. Yeah. And so I think if that scenario happens with Mueller getting fired or not getting fired, it would be another, you know, we'd go another click on the gradient towards being... It would be a big click. Yeah, well, and I, but ultimately all the solutions to any of these problems are going to be political, meaning 
the public is going to have to ultimately be the judge. And so I think what you're talking about, the, the consequence that matters is what happens in the 2018 election. Yeah, I mean, the 2018 midterms, you know, which we'll, we'll be doing our, our special two-hour episode on, um, I think are in a lot of ways going to end up being a referendum on impeachment proceedings. I think, I mean, it's hard to, here it is, it's June of 2017, so we're talking about events that are going to be happening in like a year and a half. I have no idea what it's going to be about, but whatever, it will, it will be about whatever happens between now and then. And so maybe, you know, I'm, I'm not even sure Trump will still be president. You know, like, who knows what's going to happen? But I think that's the accountability point for these crises that you're alluding to. Yeah, I mean, we're in, we're in really deep waters here. Not completely uncharted, but... It, I feel that they're pretty uncharted. Well, okay, I, did, I meant specifically in, in the sense that this is, I believe, the second... Well, no, actually, it's the third time, if you count um, Clinton that a president has been actively investigated for obstruction of justice while in office. Um, but like, I, I feel like we're almost not making a big enough deal about it because it, there's so much crazy shit that goes on with the Trump administration every single day. If we, we haven't even uh, talked about the health care bill. No. Um, or the fact that um, pre- pretty much every member of the Trump administration, including Donald Trump and Jared Kushner, are also being investigated by Robert Mueller for money laundering and other financial crimes. And Pence just lawyered up. Yeah. Um, that I mean, it's a big freaking deal that the president of the United States is being is under criminal investigation for obstruction of justice into an investigation of himself. The thing about that is I. <sighs> When you say it's a big deal, it's only as big a deal as people decide it is. That's what I mean when I say these are ultimately political questions. You know, this is what Ben Franklin meant when he said a republic if you can keep it. If people don't care, then it doesn't matter. So, yeah, I'm not trying to disagree with you so much as I'm saying I think part of the work is is to get people to understand why it's important. Yeah, and that also his approval know, rating is falling. It's like not doing it's well. It's continuing to to plummet. I mean, we've seen it as low as thirty four percent, and disapproval rating as high as sixty percent, um, which would be not high good. and lows. No, uh, and I you know I do th- I do think we'll see members of the House start to flee from him if we're six months out from the midterms and his approval ratings are there. Yeah, I mean, I think. Ultimately, I have faith in the American people, the majority of them. So I do think it's going to be a problem. I, I think I, – I used to think he was going to fire Mueller. Now I'm not so sure because I think – I think he really wants to. I'm sure. Well, I don't know. He, I have no success psychoanalyzing. I don't know what's going on in his head. He's just a maniac. Um, I'm sure at sometimes he wants to. I'm sure at other times he doesn't care or he forgets. I don't know. But – I think it would be such a... Of course, firing Comey was a gigantic mistake. So That's I don't know. a huge, huge self-inflicted error. We'll see what happens. I mean, I, I, I think... I don't think he will. I think um, probably everyone around him is telling him that he really ought not to do it. Where I don't think that was quite the case with Comey. Well, we know Kushner wanted him to fire Comey. Right, and I think that Kushner has probably seen that that was not a good idea. 
I hope so because it's pretty clear. Yeah, and I, I mean, another thing that could happen if he fired Mueller it, and say Rosenstein decided to uphold it is Rosenstein could fi- dismiss him and then immediately appoint a new special counsel to take over Mueller's investigation. Perhaps James Comey. He could. I mean, he pro- that would probably not be a good idea, but yeah. Uh, well, mean, sure. It, I mean, it, it, it might not be a very effective move. Trump is. I think that there are parts of the government that have not been captured by Trump, and he's not used to working in that kind of a context. And so I think he's very. He's sort of like. He's learning about how it works when you can't get something to stop just by firing people. Yeah, and there's just. I mean, the amount of evidence. Of clearly, obstruction is already ludicrously high. From my point of view, he's clearly guilty of obstruction in the form yeah. of firing the FBI director. But in addition to that, I'm sure he's also done a ton of money laundering and other corrupt yeah. business practices. Well, and there's pro- there's probably abuse of power. I don't know the technical legal details there. Well, but this again is the thing where like legal, it doesn't. None of this matters legally. The question of what happens in this, the outcome is going to be determined politically, not legally. It's not even clear if the president Probably. can be charged. I mean, there. But as you say, it's not clear. <laughs> like that's not a that's not a matter of settled law. No, but I think when I say it, what I mean, I'm just trying to say that it's unlikely that a sitting president would be charged with a significant. Well, the crime. correct system for dealing with this situation is, is the impeachment, impeachment system. Yes, and or the Twenty Fifth Amendment. It's a political system. Yeah. Impeachment. It, it is not a legal. The House. You know, high crimes and misdemeanors is is not a specific no. you know description that, of that's whatever Congress says it is. Exactly. Well, the whole thing is whatever Congress says it is, and so that's why, as you mentioned, it, the twenty eighteen election could become a referendum on impeachment. But you know, or Trump's going to have to find that line of when there. If he doesn't fire Mueller, and Mueller comes to Congress and he reports to them that Trump clearly committed flagrant abuse, you know, etc., Congress is going to have a decision to make. Yeah, do their job, or... My money is on them deciding not to take any action on it and passing their big tax cut. And then, you know, and then, but that's not the end of it, because then there's the political accountability point in the midterm election. Yes, I mean, there would be, I I think it's fair to say there would be a rather massive backlash. Huge. If that were to occur. I think that, too. Of course, this is also why I'm always so hung up on protecting the integrity of the 2018 election. Oh, I'm totally with you on that. Because um, if if they can if they can get rid of that, then we're in really big trouble. But I mean, this whole the whole thing is so preposterous and scary. And I mean, the the Wall Street Journal reported this morning that Trump is still questioning whether or not the Russians actually interfered in our election. That sure. he like he called up like the Mike Rogers at the NSA. And he was like, are you sure? He was like, did the Russians really do it? Um, you know, despite the fact that... He has a habit of that, just calling up the, these people. Yeah, which is not a good idea. Not, he's, he's not course, supposed to do it. Well, he can do it for the right reasons. Well, it's supposed to be arranged. You know, <laughs> well, you know, anyway. Yes. So now um, we're supposed to transition to talking about we, how we're staying sane. Oh, well, I, I, we've got, I've got an easy answer this week on that front, which is that we've got a um, sanity check wedding this weekend. 
So we're going to have the whole sanity check crew uh, together in person for the first time in a while. So I'm looking forward to that. Yes. I didn't even think about that. I think um, um, for me, what's keeping me sane is I might have, I'm going to say pass, and then I'll, I'll enter next week. If if something comes up that is keeping you sane, you'll let us know. Well, you know, I, I've I've long ago reached the point of like questioning the epistemological meaning of the question. Yes. You know, like yeah. <laughs> so um um so thanks for listening to Sanity Check. Make sure to join us again next week. And if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe at iTunes, the Google Play Store, or at sanitycheckpod.com. And in the meantime, keep resisting and persisting.